Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on this weekend edition on 101.3 KPCG. Coming up on today's program, a look at a few of the headlines from around the country, including this uh, bridge collapse in Florida that you heard about probably uh, over the last few days. Uh, Interesting to take a look at the state of U.S. infrastructure in general. And uh, it's not great, according to the reports. Also, you may have heard of uh, Stephen Hawking, very uh, famous scientist, died recently. We're going to take a look at some of what he said and why it's wrong this edition of Trump Radio Live. is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG, and we're online at kpcg.fm. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that by uh, following us at kpcgfm, and if you'd like to email, send those comments along to comments at kpcg.fm. Dwight Falk, Grant Turgeon here today. Uh, In the intro there, I was mentioning that uh, Stephen Hawking had some ideas that are incorrect he was a smart guy. Make no doubt. I mean, have no doubt about it. I'm not saying I'm smarter than <laughs> Stephen Hawking, but uh, he he made some foibles that are, that are very uh, common to the scientific community. So we're going to take a look at that. But lest you think I'm uh, claiming to have the more intelligence than him, uh, you that's not the case. Yeah, we're we're not saying that at all. Obviously, he's probably a thousand times smarter, but he came to the wrong conclusion with all the evidence he accumulated. Yeah, he did. So we'll we'll take a look at that later in uh, the program today. You know how I actually found out that he died? Uh, I'm not on Twitter, but I happened to go look at Steven Adams' Twitter account, the the Thunder basketball player, and he was was saying, rest in peace. So it's Uh kind of funny because uh, whenever... Uh, a few few months ago, I guess, whenever a gigantic bird crashed into their charter plane, he was tweeting at uh, Stephen Hawking and Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson asking what caused this to happen to their plane. <laughs> wow, he's he's a renaissance man. Yeah, he knows he knows a lot about a lot of things as far as basketball. <laughs> he's a renaissance man for the NBA. Yeah, actually, I saw another story about Stephen Hawking dying and. One of a uh, uh, superwoman, supergirl, whatever Gal she's called. Gal Gadot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is that? Superwoman? Is that right? Uh, Wonder, Wonder Woman. Wonder there Woman. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah it, that's it, right. it didn't sound right to me. But <laughs> Wonder Woman. Anyway, she uh, she tweeted something about you know uh, he's now free of his physical constraints and so forth, and uh, she got a lot of backlash over that because that's they the the uh, disabled community. They said that was that was um, uh, discriminatory to say i think i forget what they call it ableist oh, she was an ableist right. and uh, she i mean she didn't mean anything bad by it and i i just thought well why would that be offensive i mean clearly he physically was limited you know if you can't do the normal range of human functions you are somewhat limited no matter i mean i don't see why that's a an he issue. had to type on a, a computer and have an automated voice say what he typed i mean that's about as limited as you can possibly get so uh, for people to get upset about that, would Stephen Hawking have loved to have had full use of his limbs and been able to talk for himself? What about all these other 
people who are upset, wouldn't they love to have their arm back or whatever they're missing right now? It just doesn't make sense when you say something like that, that he's free of his physical constraints. That is true. And there's nothing offensive about it. Yeah, it kind of seems to me like it, it plays into that land of pretend that everyone's going into. Like you're supposed to pretend that things that are obviously real real, and in front of you aren't the way they are. Because if you were going to follow that line of thinking about being an ableist or whatever, uh, well, then you would have no need for um, handicap ramps. or Because by the fact that you're having it there, you're saying that somebody won't be able to walk up the stairs. They're going to need to take this ramp. And it's offensive to acknowledge <laughs> so, that truth. So how is that right. not discriminatory? I don't, <laughs> it's just bizarre, bizarre thinking. Anyway, we'll talk more about him coming up in the show. Big story from uh, last few days has been in Florida. This is uh, from the uh, Good Morning America program. Florida bridge that collapsed was touted as engineering feet come to life. The other day, uh, actually, I was I went down to downtown one of the uh, shopping centers, and I was I came to a red light and stopped, and I happened to be right under the overpass. And uh, you know you don't worry, I don't worry about it too much. But I did have that thought, you know, looking up and hearing all the traffic whiz by, like, wow, this is a really vulnerable spot. You know, if a bridge collapsed, we'd be dead. Well, that actually happened in Florida, and it was a, it was a walking bridge over the top of this, this road. They say an emerging way of installing bridges was touted as an engineering feat, a model for the future with safety at the forefront. Now just five days after being installed using that method, a bridge connecting a college campus to a nearby residential area collapsed over a busy highway, killing several people, and I don't know that the numbers are official there yet. The bridge was built in full before being rotated and moved into place over a portion of 8th Street, US 41, in just a few hours. I think it was about six hours. 174-foot, 950-ton section of the bridge was built to the side of where it would eventually rotate. So they built it to the side of the road and they swung it around, which, you know, I guess wouldn't mean that you don't have to slow down traffic, which is nice. But uh, there were problems. The pedestrian bridge was intended to provide a safe passage from st- for students from Florida International University, which has its campus on one side of the highway, to a neighborhood called Sweetwater where thousands of students live. And so yesterday it collapsed and people were under it and it killed the, those underneath. And like you said, it is easy to just think about that anytime you're stopped under a bridge and a gigantic uh, truck thumps over the top. And this was just a walking bridge. So it's not like some huge load was on top of it that brought it down. This just shows how poorly built this one was. And um, I was talking to someone who has a lot of experience in the construction field recently. And he said someone must have really been cutting back on costs and not in, not not living up to all the safety regulations involved because for something like that to happen, uh, you really have to be negligent in a lot of areas. That's always the fear when you have um, a company build something. It's just everyone's trying for the highest profit margin, which which makes sense, but you have to do good work, especially in a case like this because safety is on the line. Fox News says that the companies behind Florida Bridge Collapse have history of fines, failures, and lawsuits. The Virginia Department of Labor cited FIG, F-I-G-G, for four violations in 2012 after a 90-ton slab of concrete fell from a bridge it was building near Norfolk, according to the Miami Herald. FIG was hit hit with a $28,000 fine, and the Department of Labor said the company modified a girder without properly inspecting it or getting written consent from its manufacturer. 
So the companies had some problems here, and then there were a few companies uh, uh, involved, and they were all tweeting before it collapsed about how they were proud to be part of this revolutionary way of constructing a bridge. And then it quickly they quickly deleted those after mm-hmm. this happened. So, yeah, really uh, interesting. It made me think about the um, just the state of the U.S. infrastructure in general. Now, this was a new bridge, obviously. But and it's not like it's not like this way of building a bridge would never work necessarily. But it looks like one particular company got involved with cutting costs and cutting corners at the expense of safety. I mean, so maybe this way would work in the future. Who knows? Yeah, right. That's a good point. I mean, it it would just have to be. You'd have to know. <laughs> you'd have to know what you were doing and do it the right way and really understand it. Um, but the uh, in the infrastructure in general in the U.S. is this is from the Council of F- on Foreign Relations, the state of U.S. infrastructure, the eighteen trillion dollar U.S. economy they say relies on a vast network of infrastructure from roads and bridges to freight rail ports to electrical grids and internet provision, but the systems currently in place were built decades ago in most cases, and economists say that delays and rising maintenance costs are holding economic performance back. So people, like they they point out, there's there's not only economic risk, but there's risk to people's health and well-being. Um, there's still a lot of good roads in the U.S., but th- there are plenty that are pretty bad. We have bad roads out here. Uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> my neighborhood, they always, we get these potholes, and, and then they just dump that, uh, I don't know what it is. It's some sort of a mix of, is it, it's like, asphalt or something they just mm. dump it in there and then as you drive over it it's supposed to harden and it does but then next time it rains it like breaks out and it breaks a bigger piece of the road out there are some sections of the road that that's all it is in in my neighborhood <laughs> the whole road is just Those patches, patches. Yeah. Right. and I don't know if they're thinking well if we patch it enough it'll become a new road or what <laughs> but so uh, depending on where you are, you might have to deal with some infrastructure issues. Yeah, and all across the country, it's actually a lot more rare to see a really nice, smooth, freshly painted road uh, because uh, there's potholes everywhere, things are worn down, airports, whatever it is. They just look a lot older than they actually are because of wear and tear, and it's not a priority in the federal budget or in state or local budgets. I even I even saw one expert. This is uh, editor of Public Works Financing, and he said maintenance budgets are one of the first places mayors and governors look for money to fill budget shortfalls. That's because the effects of underfunding maintenance are not immediately obvious. So you can't uh, apparently you can't borrow uh, to to pay off an infrastructure need. So you have to have the money on hand, but also it's really easy to take that money and fill in another area of need because it's not like as soon as you get rid of your infrastructure money for something else that pop potholes are going to pop up all over the roads or that they're all going to just never be fixed again. I mean, the, the fact that there's potholes in the roads already, people have gotten used to that and uh, they just don't really know when the fixer upper crews are coming anyway. So it's not that obvious when that money gets allocated somewhere else. It's really interesting. Yeah, they they do have budget shortfalls in a lot of different places, and uh, I suppose they do have to look at it and say, well, where could we take this money from, and where would it be least um, noticeable right off the bat? But uh, you know, obviously, you need good infrastructure 
a couple of uh, notes here from this Council on Foreign Relations about the state of U.S. infrastructure. It says, according to uh, Petrosky, this one uh, expert they're talking to, the delays caused by traffic congestion alone cost the economy over $120 billion per year. If you've ever been in a traffic jam, which is very likely, especially if you're, <laughs> you're in a, you have to travel through quite a bit of traffic, uh, it costs money. Uh, time, I suppose, and uh, just other, other factors could, could come in there. Being late for work a lot yeah. because of traffic, that costs money. Burning more gas sitting there. Yeah. They say airports are another choke point. International tourism supports 1.2 million U.S. jobs and brings in hundreds of billions of dollars of tax revenue. But some studies have found that delays and avoided trips due to the poor state of the nation's airports cost the economy about $35 billion per year. So uh, quite a bit there that um, uh, money being lost just because of the poor the poor infrastructure and even Almost every any day you can look at some of the headlines and there's something about flying and it's negative, whether it be people's behavior on the planes or, or the state of the plane or, or not as often. But, but, well, there was that Atlanta airport, right? They had the big power outage a while back. So uh, it's not traveling, especially with flying, it's not as uh, fun as it used to be. That's true, and and we see these problems everywhere. I mean, even just going back to the roads, there's so many places where we go that – they get jammed up because there are only two lanes on the highway when it would have been easy to build four or six and or eight in that same spot. There's plenty of space there, uh, but obviously it costs money. And if it's not a priority and it's not, and there's not really money for it, and you can't borrow for it, uh, sadly, governments don't really fund that type of thing. And a lot of airports are way, way, way overdue for renovation. Uh, thankfully, the OKC airport has pretty much been totally renovated in the last decade or so and it's a lot more pleasant to go in but before that i mean you walk through there and the walls were grimy the floor was chipped up uh it wasn't pleasant to be there uh let alone the the actual problems with the flights going out as well yeah it's interesting you think about the cost of upkeep on things it does cost things and there's a lot of parts of uh, the country. It just it's, you can take a town, a, a city like even Oklahoma City, and they they're always they are building. They are, they do expand and they build new things. But then, as the city builds outward, what happens to the internal part of the city? It usually dilapidates. Although they they do try to renovate some areas, and they've been doing that to good effect, like down in Bricktown and some of those places. But then there are plenty of neighborhoods you drive through, and they're just they're just run down, mm-hmm. you know and you just you think well, and it's because it's lower income and there's lower tax dollars and people don't care to keep their places up apparently. But uh, instead of building new things, it'd be interesting to just say, what about just maintaining what we have and improving that first? Um, in in Oklahoma City, it's such a weird city. I don't know if other cities are this way, but you can drive from like <laughs> it feels like the depths of uh, the ghetto into like a really nice area in like two blocks. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's just all, it's just a weird hodgepodge. Yeah, the 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 center of Oklahoma city is very small and really run down areas are all around it. And a lot of the center of Oklahoma city used to look like that too, until recently until they fixed it up. So it takes a really long time and it's very expensive. And you mentioned uh, maybe spending money to spruce up the areas that are already there. Well, that probably would get taxpayers a lot less excited if they knew that well our money is going to fix up these neighborhoods and not to build us <laughs> you know some new attraction downtown uh, a lot of people w- would be less likely to support that too yeah no doubt 
But yeah, it shouldn't it shouldn't have to be like a government funded tax deal. It should be people just taking care of what they have. For sure. And then, you know, if everybody got together and did it, then everybody's property values would go up and you'd you'd end up doing a lot better. And it would be a much safer place. I mean, you don't you don't see criminals just hanging out in really nice neighborhoods. They always hang out in the bad spots. Right. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, one other note about the infrastructure in the U.S. It says the American Society of Civil Engineers has compiled regular report cards on the state of the U.S. infrastructure since the 1980s. In its 2017 report, it found that the nation's infrastructure averages a D. That's not good. If you get a D on your report card, it means you are almost a failure, <laughs> uh, meaning that conditions are mostly below standard. Uh, exhibiting, quote, significant deterioration with a strong risk of failure. The group estimates that there is a total infrastructure gap of nearly $1.5 trillion needed by 2025. Well, we're broke, though, you know. So, but that is something you do, I think, think about when you see a bridge collapse. Now, it was a newer bridge, and there was some construction issues with it. But But we've seen other things happen to where things collapse. Because whether it's a matter of it's, it's a falling apart due to age or it's not put together correctly because of lack of oversight. I mean, it's an infrastructure problem. Mm-hmm. You know, where are the trained engineers, the skilled engineers that are going to make something that works <laughs> and lasts and stands the test of time? Um, so it is something that the U.S. has to has to address on some level. And they also mention in here just the electri- electrical grids, the Internet, things like that. You start looking at those things as well. Uh, our society, our civilization as we know it, really is on a pretty fine line from things working to them not working and society not working. Yeah, and you can see why President Trump would be focused on infrastructure like he has been. He's wanted to spend more money on it. But like you said, when the nation is completely broke, it's not really a feasible plan at this point. It's not fiscally conservative in any way. It just means that we're going to plunge deeper and deeper into that black hole of debt that we've already gone down into. Uh, so a lot of the time it, it seems like people just learn to accept the failing infrastructure for what it is. But the vast majority of people I know uh, will say, oh, those potholes, but they're not like, I will not drive another day until the potholes are gone. They kind of just laugh at it and shake their heads. And it's it's just kind of part of everyday life at this point. Yeah, it's, I guess there's nothing you can personally do about it unless you drive around and Repair them, which, you, which isn't legal, I don't think. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> not allowed to just do your own repair in public places, but uh, it is interesting. And I, it, there's a real irony to it as well that the infrastructure is collapsing in the U.S., literally in some cases. And, and one of those things that areas that really need a lot of work are bridges. And yet you have the, the left talking about we want to build bridges so all the illegal immigrants can come over here and yet the bridge i wouldn't if i were them i wouldn't walk on the bridges in the u.s <laughs> exactly i know they don't mean a physical bridge so but you know it's just kind of humorous that they want to build bridges all day but yet the infrastructure the literal actual physical bridges are collapsing yeah maybe that's where a little bit more of the uh focus should be they're, they're talking about building new bridges instead of maintaining the ones we have and they're not even getting practical they're just using flowery language to try to bolster some lawless argument that they have uh, infrastructure is obviously a big issue especially when you have people dying because it fails um, obviously potholes there's a chance of you might you, you could hit one wrong and go off the road but a bridge if you're stuck under that in traffic there's no escaping something like that yeah, well if you just think about cost too even just like say bad roads 
uh, how, how much more quickly your vehicle wears down. Mm. If you've got to drive over those type of roads all the time, it's going to shake your vehicle loose. You're going to have problems with it. Um, this is a uh, writer from Reuters today, and this ties into the energy grid. It says, in a first, U.S. blames Russia for cyber attacks on energy grid. They wouldn't do that, would they? <laughs> would they do that to us? <laughs> Not that their president's in there now, right? Uh, they say the Trump administration on Thursday blamed the Russian government for a campaign of cyber attacks stretching back at least two years that targeted the U.S. power grid, making the first time the United States has publicly accused Moscow of hacking into American energy infrastructure. I mean, it's really terrorism. Beginning in March 2016 or possibly earlier, Russian government hackers sought to penetrate multiple U.S. critical infrastructure sectors including energy, nuclear, commercial facilities, water, aviation, and manufacturing, according to a U.S. security alert published Thursday. The Department of Homeland Security and FBI said in the alert that a, quote, multi-stage intrusion campaign by Russian government cyber actors had targeted the networks of small commercial facilities where they, quote, staged malware, conducted spear phishing, and gained remote access into energy sector networks the alert did not uh, name facilities or companies targeted. So it looks like they have pretty good indication that Russia was involved with this. And uh, and they go on to say that, that Moscow feels like it can do this whenever they want to. There's no mm-hmm. problem with it. Or they won't be, you know, stopped or caught in any way. And it's really interesting because th- this is a real threat. Russia is very much a clear threat against the United States. We are in a, uh, a time that's more ramped up probably even than the Cold War was. And you can go back, you can go on YouTube if you want to, and find this clip from, twenty. I think it was uh, 2012, where President Obama was debating Mitt Romney. And Mitt Romney said, I think the number one threat to the U.S. is Russia. You should listen to what President Obama says. <laughs> oh, the 1980s called. They want their foreign policy back. <laughs> you think Russia's a threat? Nah, that's that's last century. Really? Turns out, as one astute commenter pointed out, turns out Mr. Romney was right on every point, and Mr. Obama was wrong on every point. And yet uh, people still point to that moment by Obama as one of the greatest debate-winning moments ever because debates now turn on snark and not right. on not on truth. Uh, Romney has proven right in pretty much every way here. Um, and, and it's interesting because the media is constantly focusing on if Russia manipulated ballot boxes and rigged the last presidential election by hacking the Democratic National Committee and exposing Hillary Clinton's emails. Uh, but they're not ever talking about them getting into these critical infrastructure sec- sectors like it says here. And it's also interesting because this says that it's a first that the U.S. is blaming Russia for these cyber attacks. If Mr. Trump is Putin's puppet, why would he be the first one to really confront Russia in this way? He's plenty willing to confront enemy powers if there's any truth to the allegation. He's not going to call out Russia for helping win him the presidency when that didn't happen. Well, Russia's, they try to in, in, manipulate and get involved in every everything they can within the U.S. They've been doing it for years. That's part of their part of their agenda. Part of the communist agenda, so it's not like it's just shown up now where they're trying to to say if if they're going to look at the argument of them trying to manipulate elections. Well, they always try to manipulate elections, right? And they get they got all over both sides of that 
organizing rallies on both sides and all kinds of Facebook pages. I heard yesterday that they made this game called Hiltendo. I guess it was a video game that made fun of Hillary Clinton and it had her like deleting emails as fast as possible and, and giving as much money to the, the Saudis as she possibly could. And then I think the last part was tearing up the Constitution. <laughs> so they, I guess they have a sense of humor in their hacking or, or their trolling as well. Yeah, it's so funny too uh, because obviously Russia doesn't particularly care probably who wins. They they just want to see division in the U.S. But do you really think they they would want in a president who actually wants to put America first, who actually wants to strengthen America? You think that would be their aim? No. You know, if people just <laughs> if people just took a step back and kind of looked at it and said, now who would they rather have in office if they, if they had their preference? Would you rather have Hillary Clinton who? gave them the big misspelled reset button and, you know, and of course following on the Obama administration that said to Medvedev, oh, give us time, you know, uh, and the new, when I win, you can have more, you know, uh, freedom. Oh, by the way, in that 2012 clip on YouTube, if you look at it, uh, the President Obama was very critical of Mitt Romney saying that we shouldn't be trying to have treaties with Russia over nuclear weapons. <laughs> and he's like, these are wonderful and proven successful and all this. Didn't, didn't Russia just make the new Satan two missile <laughs> yeah. you know i mean you look at what's being said there and you're like uh he was completely wrong on all of that but anyway back to the point if you if you look at just the agenda of diff- the different sides the left and the right on some level the right wants america to be strong and on the left they want to destroy what america was so who, who do you think russia would support more well yeah that's exactly right when america and russia had been enemies for uh, the better half of a century uh, probably they're not going to be excited about a president who is trying to strengthen America and and offset what Russia is doing in a lot of sectors of the world. They're not going to be happy about that at all. And if you even just look further back in history, decades ago when Richard Nixon, before he was even president, he had a hand in bringing down uh, basically a communist hero who I guess had trained he had studied at harvard and because of that the left really hated him because they they thought of this communist as one of their mentors someone who had an ideology that they wanted to follow so whenever richard nixon became president they were determined to bring him down and what did they bring him down for uh spying on the democratic party to prevent communism from infiltrating it so who has always been more friendly toward the russians yeah, it's it's a if you just took a step back and looked at some common sense uh, thinking there, you you would know that there's probably not a lot going on there as far as this uh, collusion witch hunt as it is. Uh, there's a great trumpet brief from um, yesterday or the other day it came out. This is from Brad McDonald ties into Russia. It says Vladimir Putin more psychopath than cowboy. And he has a couple of uh, quotes here where it says, more than a few in the West uh, even admire Putin's personality and behavior. For many, he's uh, very fetching, a holdover from a more traditional, macho, conservative world. He's the John Wayne of geopolitics, riding the planet, defending the weak, and killing the bad guys. <laughs> many admire Putin because he's decisive, uncompromising, and masculine, the antithesis of the soft, politically correct Western politician. He's old-fashioned, conservative, and pragmatic in a world growing ever more secular, liberal, and idealistic. But he says this perception, as Gerald Flurry and other trumpet writers have explained for more than 10 years, is naive and dangerous. Uh, And Mr. Flurry said this, This man is not just an authoritarian leader. 
He is an evil, ruthless, vindictive agent with Soviet-style methods of psychological warfare, assassination, and war. And then it goes on to talk about some of what uh, Vladimir Putin has done. But even if you just look at him uh, using psychological warfare and assassination, well, we've seen assassinations in the U.K. just in the last few weeks. Yeah, and, and Russia, I guess, is now retaliating by taking away some of their diplomats from the U.K., uh, and they have no problem with escalating tensions with nations they've always hated. I mean, that's just what they're going to be doing. And uh, Putin is totally behind those types of things, especially because, well, he wants to dominate the world and he knows where the real threats to his domination are. At least they used to be America and Britain, uh, not so much now anymore. And these assassinations over there in Britain have really just highlighted uh, the weakness of Britain. They don't have really any allies, as Mr. McDonald points out. Nobody willing to step up and do anything. And they don't have the strength themselves to do anything. Because what's happened is just displayed their weakness, where they came out, Theresa May made this sort of strong-worded statement, you know, gave uh, Vladimir Putin an ultimatum. I don't think he responds to ultimatums, by the way. But uh, <laughs> He laughs. Yeah, he That's laughs his at response. him. She, she gave him an ultimatum. And then, you know, they had, a, they, I guess, they made a few moves, but nothing significant, I don't think. And then uh, now you have a lot of people, uh, politicians and such there in Britain saying, uh, well, you know, we don't want to be too hasty here. Now we, we need to get more information and make sure we really understand what's going on here. And that sounds okay, but you know that just means we're just going to drag this out, do nothing about it. People will move on and forget about it. And uh, because they don't have the will nor the strength to confront him. And he knows that. And he proves it time and time again. Uh, Vladimir Putin is nobody. Nobody stands up to him. Yeah, and we've seen quite a lot of uh, hypocrisy there because on the one hand, a lot of leaders in the West are trying to change things as quickly as possible, overhaul the entire social system. Uh, Anything on a domestic level, they're trying to change it as fast as possible without much thought going into it. But then as soon as it becomes confronting a foreign power that would love for you to be destroyed, oh, let's not be too hasty. Let's let's take our time with this. Let's really make sure we have all the facts in order. And one would wonder why you can't just do it the same way in both arenas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they they the uh, the very left leaning ideology there is is very dictatorial when it comes to their their pet projects and thinking. But when it comes to actual, say, threats from, from other sides, then, uh, well, you know, we don't want to get too. We don't want to come to too many quick conclusions. Uh, the uh, Mr. Putin has an election coming up. I think he'll win. I'm going to go out on a limb here, <laughs> stake my reputation on the fact, that, <laughs> whatever that reputation may be, that he will win uh, the election. Putin appeals to, quote, love of fatherland to get Russians to the polls. President Vladimir Putin has appealed to Russians' love of the fatherland to encourage them to vote on Sunday as he seeks to boost turnout at an election he is surely to win. Uh, The Kremlin is seeking high participation to give legitimacy to Putin's inevitable fourth term as opposition leader. Uh, Alexei Navalny has called for a boycott of a vote he denounces as a sham. uh, Putin's predicted to win about 70% of the vote. So as I think we mentioned the other day, why even go through this charade Be- when he knows he's going to win? Everybody knows. Well, it's because it gives him some legitimacy. Hey, they voted for me. The people voted for me. So even though it is a put on, um, 
it gives him a little bit of legitimacy in the the public arena. Well, it's soothing to the ego for a strong man to know that millions of people voted for him and probably love what he's done. Uh, the, the Levada Center, which is a, I guess a polling group, s- said that in twenty uh, December twenty seventeen, seventy two percent of Russians considered their nation to be a great power, and that's uh, in contrast to March nineteen ninety nine when just thirty one percent thought Russia was a great power. That's that's a big reason for uh, his high approval rating is that they they have seen Russia get a lot stronger, a lot more dominant on the world stage, and they are perceived to be a real threat again by other nations. A lot of Russians favor Vladimir Putin because he's brought them to that level. Yeah, they are definitely more powerful now than they were just a decade or so ago, a couple decades ago. Here's an interesting headline coming out of Germany. This uh, shouldn't be a surprise. It says, Chancellor Angela Merkel's hardline new interior minister declared that Islam is, quote, not part of Germany. In an interview published Friday, setting off a political storm two days into her fourth term. Asked by the top-selling Bild Daily whether the influx of Muslim migrants and asylum seekers to Europe's top economy meant that Islam now belonged to the fabric of the nation, Horst Seehofer replied, no, or <laughs> nein, as he, probably, as he probably said. He said, uh, quote, and this is a really, really interesting quote here for a couple of reasons, but he said, Islam is not part of Germany. Christianity has shaped Germany, including Sunday as a day of rest, church holidays and rituals such as Easter, Pentecost and Christmas. Don't know why he threw Pentecost in there. <laughs> I don't think they're <laughs> keeping Pentecost, but uh, Easter and Christmas for sure, and Sunday. So, uh, and then he said the Muslims who live among us are naturally part of Germany, but that, of course, does not mean that we, out of a false sense of deference, should sacrifice our traditions and customs. So, what do you have? What galvanizes the German people? What galvanizes Europe together? Uh, it's a common religion, and that happens to be. Catholic religion, and they, he had to point out the fact that we uh, rest on Sunday. Mm. So that's uh, important if you understand much about Bible prophecy. It's surprising that this even sparked a political storm because when you get the whole context of his quote, you see that he's saying Muslims are a part of Germany, but they just aren't the dominant culture. They're not the dominant religion because they haven't been there for many thousands of years like uh, like Catholicism has. Uh, but people obviously are going to rush to condemn him and try to remove him from his post. I mean, that's what always seems to happen after someone says something like this. Um, it is interesting, though, like you said, that he'd bring out Sunday. He, he he would directly say that's part of the fabric of this country and even really the entire continent. Well, pretty soon they're going to make sure that everyone is resting on Sunday. That's right. He said, and he said they shouldn't have to sacrifice uh, our traditions and customs. <clears throat> he didn't say anything about the Bible. <laughs> he said our traditions and customs, because that's what they are. They're their <laughs> traditions and customs. Germany's Muslim community is estimated to count about 4.5 million people, and about 1.8 million of those are German citizens. So that's a fair number, 4.5 million. It's, I mean, I don't know what the total population is, but it's not, obviously they're a smaller country. And so that's that's a good number that they're dealing with there. Uh, it's, but when you have those statements coming out from high-ranking uh, high officials, you know, what, what do you foresee in the future? Uh, unity and peace between the, the Europeans, the Germans, and Islamic, Islamic uh, people? Uh, no, 
you're going to see more division because I, those two ideologies just cannot get together. They cannot agree. One is the, the Catholic religion. The other is uh, Islam. O- oil and water or whatever. They do not mix and they will not mix. And you have to admire a leader like this for saying that his nation's not going to sacrifice its customs and traditions for what really amounts to a foreign invasion. I mean, even even Muslim refugees into Europe have called it the Islamic invasion of the West. I mean, they're not even really trying to hide what they're doing. Uh, they have tried and failed to conquer the West through actual warfare. Now it's just through unfettered immigration. Yeah, so it's uh, going to be more and more division over there. And, of course, king of the uh, north, king of the south. There's a lot of uh, information about those prophecies at thetrumpet.com. Here's one that I uh, added at the last minute. Uh, it's because it's uh, always interesting when the scientists get involved with the talking about global warming. It's from the Daily Mail. They uh, they say there's going to be more extinction coming. I, th- I think I forget which one this is. The sixth great extinction or something <laughs> that we're entering into. And they have a chart there: global warming threat to key areas for biodiversity. They're worried that uh, the African wild dog will disappear, as well as amphibians from some places in South America. And it's going to be hot in other places. Uh, and I just thought the comments were kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> a few people that wrote in. One says, it's so unfortunate that we can't share the planet with saber-toothed tigers and dinosaurs because they went extinct. Because, <laughs> right, I mean, you would you would like that, right? I mean, to be attacked by a saber-toothed tiger and, uh, um, <laughs> you know, a triceratops. Well, that's part of the natural order of things, too. I mean, there are many, many millions of species of different animals, too. And uh, sometimes based on the when humans come in and populate an area and they push animals to the side or whatever else it might be, uh, some of them might not survive, but it's like one species out of many millions. And like that commentator, like that commenter brings out, sometimes it's actually a good thing when certain things go extinct. Well, the numbers are fairly interesting. And a lot of these that they are saying are going to become extinct or threatened. That's the, they have a threat term. But I, I think about the fact that they found all those, like um, over a million penguins they didn't know were there. I thought, well, if if you couldn't find a million penguins on a flat ice shelf, um, where I mean they weren't hiding. Uh, what else don't we know, <laughs> right? <laughs> but anyway, uh, another commenter says with 8.7 million species on Earth. And only 8,374 being threatened, that means only 0.1% face extinction. I'll trust their math. Not what I'd call a mass extinction. Mm. (laughs) And then another one has a quote or a comment here where they say, uh, what I want to know is just how soon these so-called scientists will become extinct. (laughs) And some people responded and said, not as long as the grant money keeps coming. Oh, that's right. (laughs) It's time for grant money, so look, we got a new uh, report and some new charts. Well, that's why 98% of climate scientists say that the issue is settled. There can be no more debate, which is fundamentally against the principles of science to close an issue like that. There should always be more thought, more research that goes into a subject. When you when you just dogmatically say, no, it's it's this way, climate change is a problem because of humans, and we need to change the world economy to accommodate uh, the planet a little bit better, uh, that that's that's clearly rigged and they should be ashamed of themselves to even call themselves scientists yeah it's it's always uh, interesting I, I just based upon the comments i don't i think most people just do not believe what they're saying i mean they, obviously some do 
but I, I'm just many people I just think don't believe it. Well, look at any of these big movements that take place. Look at how fanatically these scientists make their claims, and they 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 try to use the term like mass extinction when statistically that's not even close to accurate at all. And and then they go so far as to call you a denier, which conjures images of the Holocaust if you just don't agree with their conclusion. Uh, pretty extreme language, uh, a lot of intense ridicule for anyone who doesn't go along with it. That is a dead giveaway that they are wrong. They're not secure in their position, and so they have to resort to attacking people who don't agree with them. I, you know, I'm in my house and on my property, I, I try to uh, get rid of as many spiders, uh, snakes, uh, you name it. If I see it, I want to get rid of it because <laughs> I don't want it living there. So I hope I, I'm, if I could make spiders extinct in my house, that would be a goal for me to achieve. <laughs> don't tell them that. <laughs> that I've, made, I've made the climate too nice because mm-hmm. all the temperature controls. So it's, it's, there's no, there's not enough global warming inside my house. Uh, make sure you stop and check out thetrumpet.com today. Top story is Egypt ditching America, looking for new allies. A lot of a lot of nations are doing that. And uh, also the Trumpet Daily Radio Show with your host, Stephen Flurry looks at a few topics today, uh, including what's happening in California. He said, he made the comment, it's like another country, and it really is. And there's a related story to that here from Fox News. Uh, California judge bars L.A. from enforcing gang restrictions that authorities credited with reducing crimes. The city of Los Angeles has been barred from enforcing the vast majority of its gang injunctions, which applied restrictions on gang associations that authorities have long credited with reducing crimes. Uh, The gang injunctions are civil court orders that have applied to nearly 9,000 people and 79 gang sets since 2000. The orders can effectively prevent individuals from legally associating with people in gang-ridden neighborhoods or networks. And so the ACLU came in and said, "Well, not every single person that you would, you would, you know, put in this uh, as part of this gang is actually part of a gang. Therefore, we can't have any of it." But and there, there may be one or two that get kind of caught up as, and they're not actually gang members, but they just have to stay, I guess, stay away from some of those areas. So it's done a lot more, lot more good than bad. But here they find, you know, the one or two maybe. Um, people that weren't involved even though they hang out near the gang all the time <laughs> and maybe they're involved maybe they're not and so they throw the whole thing out uh and what do you think is going to happen well you're going to see gang activity explode just another uh situation where feelings of the people who are being accused are prioritized above the safety of everybody else that they're trying to make it a big issue where it's somehow discriminatory to try to curb gang activity i mean if you are hanging out in the streets of a bad neighborhood a lot, why would you even be doing that unless you had some kind of protection on your side? If you if you had a gang as backup so that you wouldn't get attacked by those same gangs, it wouldn't even make sense. It's not like they're going after people that are hunkered down in their homes in those neighborhoods. Just the ones who are hanging out in the street because, sure enough, pretty likely, almost definitely, they're involved in those activities. Yeah, that it would be really frustrating to try to be a law enforcement official of any kind today because everyone's watching you, you know, and looking for any sort of misstep, and then uh, you're not allowed to enforce laws when you clearly know. I mean, if they spent any time in those areas, I think they would all know who's involved and who's not. That's not that hard to figure out, but you know, you can't do anything about it. So, and <laughs> and you just watch them come and go and. 
uh, you know, I guess it gets to the point now where maybe they just, they're kind of like uh, the cleanup crew, unfortunately. Just wait till everything happens, then show up and try to take the stats. Well, that's exactly what's happening. They're they're being forced to wait so that they can't prevent a crime. I mean, a lot of these measures where you can stop and frisk someone who's hanging around suspiciously or keeps on driving slowly past the same house several times, uh, those are measures... You know, like you mentioned before, uh, checking out a house that has broken windows, you you go see what's going on there. Uh, and, and what you're doing is trying to preempt bigger crimes or bigger problems from taking place. When you take away the police's authority to do that and you call it racist or you say that it's abuse of power, well, those smaller problems are not going to get looked at and they'll become bigger problems pretty quickly. It's just common sense. Um but I did see a satirical article recently where it was saying that the California governor, Jerry Brown, was giving a speech about how the state is now going to secede from reality. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it's exactly what they're doing. They ignore all the facts, all the evidence. They they call everything racist or bigoted somehow. And somehow that makes their policies OK. It's amazing. It is like was said on the Trump Daily Radio show. It's like another country. And one that doesn't exist on this earth. Yeah, it's like just <laughs> this, this weird, weird fantasy land where things you know go bad, but yet they, they just keep doing things and uh, and getting rid of policies that would help or so forth. President Trump was out there recently and called them out on a few things, and I'm sure they didn't love that. <laughs> also talked about on the Trump Daily Radio Show today is Stephen Hawking. He died uh, this week. Some considered him to have a great mind, and, and in a lot of ways he did. I mean, he was. He he earned a twelve honorary degrees at least, and uh, an honor from uh, Cambridge that was held by Isaac Newton and and others. So obviously, I mean, very bright, very intelligent person. But with all of his knowledge, all of his understanding, he comes back to the conclusion that he doubts God. He doesn't think there's a God. He thinks that the universe was created, but it created itself basically or something along those lines somebody that studies his work a little more may have more insight into that but but he did he he talked about aliens he talked about all kinds of things but he just couldn't he couldn't wrap his head around there being a creator and uh one of the uh books that was talked about on the trumpet daily was uh, a free one at the trumpet.com our awesome universe potential by joel hilliker and it talks about of course the hubble space telescope and what it has seen since it's been used and it just shows such amazing uh, imagery of space and what's out there. And it's so big and there's so much out there. And uh, there's a section in the booklet, and a lot of great pictures too, by the way, but there's a section in the booklet titled The Heavens Declare God's Glory. Of course, that's uh, taken from the Bible. And that's the point that scientists never get to, you know, and, and because it's not the popular thing to say, but it doesn't say the heavens declare the heavens glory. Mm-hmm. They declare God's glory. When you look at an amazing universe, you have to say, well, but, but who made that though? And they, they just can't come to that. I think any, any just average <laughs> a person with average intelligence, uh, not being swayed by popular opinion would come to the conclusion that somebody made that. You never drive past a nice house and say, wow, look, that just exploded. I mean, you say, who who built the house? There's nothing in the physical realm that we see that we think, well, it just showed up. We always ask, well, who made that? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great point, and that's, that should apply to the universe, but for some reason uh, to a lot of scientists and a lot of people who have been educated in, in these institutions of higher learning don't really think that applies to the universe for some reason. Um, 
and, and a lot of scientists know deep down that they can't find a physical reason for why the universe came into to existence. They can boil it down to the tiniest particle and say, well, this thing exploded and you know, that's how the universe exists now. But something had to create that particle, the law of biogenesis. Life had to come from life. What was the actual starting point? And because they, they will not even think for a second about the spiritual realm, they, they just go way off track. And uh, is it was interesting, actually, uh, the trumpet.com received a letter from, I think, an evolutionist, someone pretty hostile to what, what the trumpet teaches about that. And uh, he was saying, you know, you look around you and you see all these things that are really beyond comprehension. Why can't you just leave it at that instead of resorting to the God delusion? So he's even admitting freely that he has no answers. And that's how a lot of scientists approach it. Either we have no answers or we're going to call it a big bang or something else. Um, but, but why can't you say that it's God? Why can't you look at the beauty around you and think of the statistical impossibility of that all coming about by itself and then realize that it has to be of the spiritual level? Yeah, that's, I guess, agnostic. That's the way a lot of people like to go with it. Wow, we just don't know. And let's just leave it at that. And uh, that is really interesting. Uh, this booklet points out uh, just how amazing the Earth is, that life can be here. It says one well-known example is the Earth's distance from the sun. It is just the right uh, distance to keep temperatures here hospitable. <laughs> I know they think there's global warming, but uh, it's still pretty good. <laughs> Somewhere between 30 below zero and 120 degrees Fahrenheit. If we were farther away, we would freeze, and if we were closer to the sun, we would roast. When you look at some of these things, you know, you're talking about scientists going down to like the the smallest level of things, and but but even even there, even if you uh, have all these little building blocks, not to mention like you said, where did it come from in the first place? But somebody has to put the building blocks together and make them work correctly. I mean, again, think about it. You can buy a bicycle for your kid, and if it comes in a bunch of parts, well, you can leave it there. It's not going to become a bicycle unless somebody looks at the directions and puts it together, <laughs> to my knowledge, right? I have not seen it go the other way. So uh, there's it's no different with the universe, the physical universe that we see about us. Somebody had to put it all together. Who decided that this, the Earth would stay this distance from the sun and it would stay put? I mean, who decided? <laughs> That's the question that they fail to answer. Look how excited scientists get when they find a few droplets of water on Mars. That's just one of millions or billions of factors needed for uh, a planet to sustain life. They find one on another planet, and they're almost overjoyed, yet they have all these factors here and nothing else but a couple water droplets anywhere else, and they don't even pause to think about how impossible it is that the Earth exists this way unless someone did put all the pieces together. Yeah, the more they dig, as this booklet points out, the more they dig into the way the Earth works and the universe, but particularly with the Earth because we're right here to study it, uh, I mean, it's, it is more amazing. They find more and more. They, they've come to uh, a lot of features that are very unique that are needed to make life sustainable on the Earth. I think the number is up to uh, 34 features. Maybe it's more than that. I think 77 uh, by 2004. And it keeps going, I guess, all the way up. They, they've up to uh, 140 features the last time that this book was updated <laughs> that, that are essential to make the Earth inhabitable. And even though we can observe them and we know that they're needed, we can't do them, right? Like, we all know that if you uh, 
are thirsty, drink water. I can't make water. Right. Uh, That's why we have problems on on the earth. There's even an article the other day about who owns water because there's there's fighting over water. Well, we don't know how to make it. I mean, we know what's in it, but I've not seen anybody successfully make rain occur. These basic things that we understand basically how they work, but we can't reproduce them. We can't make them. And you think we would have a little more humility and say, you know, <laughs> uh, we need to really think about who created this. And if there are physical laws, how about the spiritual ones? Are those important too? Yeah, that's a great point too. And and just just the idea that God made everything and uh, he's really formed everything for us to use is where the biblical principle of tithing comes from. Because if everything around us was made by him and the only time we accumulate any wealth is by working with the elements in the ground or in the air or the things around us that he produced. Well, technically he owns all of it, but he only asked us to pay him 10%. That's actually very fair. Uh, and that's the way to look at it. A lot of these laws that God gives us make total sense. If we do have that humility that you talked about, if we do realize how little we are compared to him and how every bit of benefit we gain from this life is coming from him too. There's that new commercial now where they say the earth stopped rotating. And so uh, a bunch of people get together and they start running a certain direction to get it spinning again. It's a (laughs) Nike commercial. And I think they're going the wrong way and they had to go the other way or something. (laughs) And uh, there's a lot of problems with that commercial, of course, scientifically. But I just, it made me think of, I believe it's in Isaiah where, you know, God says the nations are like a drop of the, in a bucket to him. Like he made the universe and the nations are a drop of a bucket. And so in this commercial, which I know is a, just kind of a joke, but you know, you, you, you get a hundred people running together and they're going to start spinning the earth around. You could have everybody run a direction to make any difference. <laughs> it's a drop in a bucket, you know? And so, but we do sort of have this, this uh, arrogance that like we can, um, we have the power to really control things on the earth and, and so forth. And we really don't, other than we can wipe ourselves out, which Matthew 24 warns about. But beyond that, I mean, for all of man's uh, violence and, say, uh, nuclear weapons and so forth, really all we can do is destroy ourselves. And the moon's not going to be bothered by it. The sun doesn't care. You <laughs> yeah. know, <laughs> these other planets, they don't know. You can do whatever you want uh, in that sense. So we, we're so limited and we're so powerless other than to destroy ourselves. Well, yeah, we do tend as humans to just ridiculously overestimate our capabilities. I'll think about the idea of us going to another planet to colonize it and to make it habitable somehow and to make it where there's nothing but peace and never war and people coexist uh, the right way all the time. People are trying to do that on other planets, but why? It's because this planet is so far beyond repair at this point. Why do we think that we could somehow make another planet completely different when we're living the same exact way that caused all the disasters here? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> human nature has to change. There's a really interesting story at the Huffington Post today related to just the fact that we don't know really a lot about what happens off this Earth. This is after a year in space, NASA astronauts' gene expression has changed possibly forever. Uh, NASA astronaut Scott Kelly is not the man he used to be, at least genetically speaking. His genetic expression has changed. According to preliminary results from a NASA study that compared the bodily changes between the astronaut and his identical twin, he's got a twin brother, Mm. who stayed on Earth while Kelly was aboard the International Space Station, about 7% of Kelly's gene activity is yet to return to normal. 
So he's changed because he was out in space. Wow. And no, but they don't know what that, what that means. <laughs> just It just highlights it. We, there's a lot we don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, and what would be the purpose for that? Was that a way that he was able to survive out there somehow? I mean, we, we have no idea why something like that would happen, and it's going to probably take uh, a couple centuries for us to even get close to realizing that unless God tells us directly. So uh, it just shows how even though we have all these technological innovations and we're so far along in so many fields, we're way behind. I mean, we find out new things that just blow us away every day. Oh, sure. And just thinking about how God's made the earth perfect for human life. If you go off the earth's surface for a year and they weren't that far away, like something changes, your body changes and maybe for better, maybe for worse, probably yeah, for worse. Probably. So, so, so who, who decided that? Who decided that that's how you would work? You know, it, it's it's amazing to think about. The book is uh, Our Awesome Universe Potential. You can find that at thetrumpet.com. Uh, make sure you also listen for the new uh, Key David program this weekend on the Constitution and the Bible. It is a must listen, especially considering uh, the gun debates and so on that are raging in this country. Uh, so make sure you do listen for that uh, this weekend. They did have one last note. They did I did see some signs that the students were carrying for those gun protests. And one of the signs said, Bear Arms, B-A-R- E, <laughs> yeah, yeah, arms as opposed to the bear arm. I don't, I forget how they did it exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But basically, they wanted uncovered arms, but they didn't want you to bear guns. <laughs> so I just thought, well, there you go. The Take- slogans are slowly getting more creative. I can appreciate a little bit of wordplay like that, but still a very immature argument. Not, not probably the final word on the second <laughs> amendment there but anyway they had some signs out there make sure you listen for that key david program also the trumpet hour week in review and the trumpet daily radio show coming away this weekend that's all the time we have for grant turgeon and myself dwight falk have a great weekend and we'll talk to you monday Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.